Even though I have a knife that I think fits a lot of criteria for a lot of different applications, that rainbow unicorn knife that fits every possible usage perfectly doesn't exist. And that's why there's thousands and thousands and thousands of knife designs. More knives were made famous being utilized in Boreal Forest. If you try to do a lot of the things to a piece of hickory or red oak with a more knife that you do in a Boreal Forest with a quaking aspen, for example, then you're going to be in for a world of disappointment. What is your purpose in a survival knife? Are you talking about a tactical knife? Are you talking about an everyday carry knife? I want to be able to develop trust in the knife, and the only way to do that is to have a lot of use with it, have it in your hand a lot, know that it works. Yeah, man, I've saved a lot of people money, but one of the things that happens is that people go, man, that sucked. There is no way I'm going to buy that now. Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Survival Show podcast with Craig and me, David, where it's our job to take you step-by-step through the mindset, skills, tactics, and gear you need to survive almost any crisis, emergency, or disaster. And our hope and our goal is to show you how to use the lessons you learned today to thrive in your life tomorrow. Craig, my friend, guess what? What? I just stumbled on this the other day when producer Ben was posting a podcast And we just surpassed our 100th podcast. Can you believe that? That's crazy, dude. Oh, that's actually really interesting. I was not a... You know, if I were to make a guess right now where we are, I would have guessed about 50. Mm Mm-hmm. That's bad, isn't it? Well, you've been doing... That's pretty good. Yeah, you've been doing a really good job. I mean, the Manly Musings, everybody loves those, and uh, since they... I've recorded two just now, too, David, that are going to be good. I'm going to... Keep those a secret until they come out, so they're good ones. And I think that's the key, too, because they they started getting a little bit longer, and the goal was to keep them a little bit shorter, so we've been splitting them into two. So I think that's how it kind of snuck up on us a little bit. But uh, fantastic. That's a great benchmark, and we are about just about at one year. Maybe when we hit our one-year mark, Craig, we'll do some sort of a giveaway or something. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds good. That hits around the holidays too. I think we started in December, right? Was that right? I think so. Uh, it was this is close. Uh, to yeah, it. it was like yeah, it was somewhere in November, I think. I, I'll check with producer okay. Ben; he would know. All right, guys and gals, our mission here is to help you progressively increase your survival IQ, so you leave out of here better prepared at the end of the show than you were at the beginning. And coming up on this show, we're going to be digging in deep with what will probably end up being a multi-podcast discussion. We'll see how it goes about what I believe, and someone maybe argue with me on this, the most essential survival tool that you can utilize for hunting, combat, fieldcraft, woodcraft, bushcraft. Those are all different, by the way, if you weren't aware of that. Ever designed by man? A knife. A knife. Knife. So what we're going to be doing is we're going to be going through knives and focusing our discussion around 11 key knife features and criteria that you will want to consider when selecting a survival knife. And along the way, Dave and I will share some of our favorite cutting tools and why. And for those that know what's going on with David and I, you know that we both have designed knives and we love them. And I'm sure we'll talk about them today. But we also recognize that everybody's got to get a knife for you, you the listener. So we'll do everything we can to to share what we know about our knives because they're important and they're valuable. But at the same time, we're going to do everything we can to help you select the best knife for you and where you live and what it is that you do with it. Mm -hmm. And then Craig, we're going to break down these uh, 11 key criteria and we're going to, we're going to break them down 
in relation to one of the most interesting new knives I've seen in a long time, and that's that's actually your knife, the Chamonix Long Knife, which, from my take and my handling it a bit, is a bushcraft survival fighting knife, and it's got a rich historical backstory that I would really love for you to share with folks that goes back to the early explorers and mountain men. And if we have time, did you get us a mailbag question, Craig? I do, it, and it's not an easy question. I, I've had a question popped up in one of my groups this week that I want to get your thoughts on and share information from my thoughts and at least get people thinking about something. So it's really probably one of the most vital, important things that we can talk about as it relates to disaster readiness, and we'll hmm. see where that discussion goes. I'm going to leave it as an open-ended question and see where it takes us. Cool. But, everybody, before we get into that, let's make sure that we know how to help David and I pay the bills. <laughs> so, as always, hashtag HBO, help a brother out here. Well, there's several different ways. One of the things that you can do is just go to the survivalshow.com website. You'll find links there for several different ways you can help us out. There is an option there for you to just send us some moolah, some some Benjamins, if you want to, uh, right through PayPal. So you can do that, which we greatly appreciate, man. We we really enjoy putting out good information, and we want to keep doing it. So your support is unbelievably strong and important. You can join the tribe over at Patreon, obviously. And we've been putting up some things from, well, we put up a thing from my book, one of my books, Ultimate Wilderness Gear, last week. So that's real valuable. And if you look on anchor.fm, the place where this podcast gets, what's the right word here, David? Hosted? I never yeah, know. Yeah, hosted. Yeah. It's it's where it resides yeah. and it, it aggregates from there to all the other podcast aggregates. players. Yep. I like that word. So check out anchor.fm. That's a website. You can go check that out for the survival show. And there's an option there for you to support the podcast right there. It's real simple. There's like one, five and $9 options and all kinds of cool stuff. So jump on there, help us out. And we greatly appreciate you. We do it for you and we can't do it without you. So thanks for your support. That's good. And I want to throw in one more thing, Craig. And this is a real win-win. Like, everybody wins here. You and I win because we're the authors of the Tiny Survival Guide. And people can, when people pick those up, it helps us directly. Like, it, it, there, there's no, almost no better way to help us out and encourage us. We're looking at a tiny, should I tell them? Some people have suggested various other guides. And Craig, I'll tell you that the two that we've discussed are the two that I've been hearing the most about. So, uh, as the... Tiny Survival Guide continues to get into your hands, and you guys, a lot of you guys know that we are tracking along with the guide through these podcasts, and you can get those over at Amazon, but finally, months later, after I started <laughs> telling you about this, it took me like three months to put up this new site called tinysurvival.com. There, you can build your own do-it-yourself pocket survival kits and get guides and cards in bulk. So here's the deal. I just did a soft launch. We haven't even started marketing it yet. But you guys have been awesome to us. And a lot of you guys have picked up the tiny survival guides and have mentioned how you want to pass those on to people that you care about and love. So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to give you guys a code. You can go over to tinysurvival.com and you can get 10% off your order of anything over there. This is the first 
time that I've ever done this and get free shipping anywhere in the USA on guides and cards and any kits you want to build over there. I came up with a couple of pocket survival kits that you can add to your guide and your card and put in a survival tin. So that's over at tinysurvival.com. Use discount code survivalshow10. That's the numbers 10. That's survivalshow10 for 10% off anything and free USA shipping over at tinysurvival.com. Anything else, Craig? I think that's it, dude. I think we got it covered. You want to get start talking about some knives, knives? Yeah, let's talk about some knives, man. Let's do it. So, guys, as we get into this discussion on knives, I want to mention that more or less we're using the Tiny Survival Guide, which Craig and I are the authors of, as a general outline that we've been tracking through over the, this first almost year of podcasts. So for those of you that are, are following along in the Tiny Survival Guide, we recently landed in Section K of the guide. And this is where we hit hunting tools in Section K5. And so Craig and I discussed it a little bit over the last couple of weeks and thought it would be a good idea to camp out a bit and talk about this most critical survival tool that we call a knife. So, Craig, why don't we start out here, and you can you bring us into the world of knives? I'd love the historical context and your your primitive uh, skills and knowledge with regards to that. Can you maybe bring us into the context of knives, historical context, and why it's such an important survival tool? Yeah, absolutely. I think the one of the things that we need to understand is as far as us, the human species is that we, in the way our minds work, are tool users. And Mm -hmm. so we have an affinity for tools. That's why that so many people can utilize uh, marketing to take advantage of people when it comes to gear. And that's why we try to focus a lot of our attention on trying to help you make educated decisions on gear. Right. Because we are tool users and we need we we're fascinated by our brains are hardwired to utilize tool tools. Our bodies are made to utilize tools. And so that is a very interesting initial consideration. But early on, you can imagine some, some dude that was banging around in a cave, uh, slipped and cut himself or herself on a rock and noticed that it had an edge on it. And, and at some point they figured out they can make that edge happen. And eventually, that grew into some sort of, hey, can I make something that is a projectile that I put on the end of a large, you know, bamboo or or stick of some sort and throw it in an animal to kill it. And that way I can utilize it to eat and all the things that go along with it. And, and eventually that grew into working with different materials that we mine from the earth and so on and so forth until we get to where we are today, where there's hundreds of different designs thousands of different designs of knives and materials and handles and all the things that go along with it. But the purpose that we want to focus on here at the survival show podcast is obviously survival. So we want to talk about a lot of different things as it relates to survival. Now, if, if some of you all may have my second book, ultimate wilderness gear. And in that book I discussed, I actually dedicated a whole chapter to the topic of knives and actually in Mm -hmm. chapter one, which is a chapter that a lot of people overlook uh, as far as because they're you know we're gear users and everybody just dug into the gear as uh, as an educator I tried to edu- I try to educate people on everything that I do even this knife that I'm selling now I've utilized it as an educational tool 
And in chapter one, what I did is I broke down Oatsy, I broke down uh, Simon Kenton, uh, Nesmuk, as, as well as Steve Watts, and basically starting in prehistoric times nearly and all the way up to modern times and show the common tools that people utilized to make their way in a wilderness area. And obviously one of the tools that was there for everybody was some sort of a knife. And so since the dawn of mankind has been utilizing one, we have been trying to perfect it. We've been trying to make it more useful, uh, make it more comfortable. And so from that perspective, just having a knife is, is valuable from an historical context, but at the same time, because it's such a useful tool, we still need them and they still work. Mm -hmm. They're good for that. That's really good, Craig. And I think that leads us right into key number one that I'd like to discuss. So before we go any further, I think it's really important to consider what your expectations, that's you all that are listening, what your expectations are for your blade and what you're looking for in a survival knife. So here's one of the problems, Craig. When we say the term survival knife, Craig, that means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting topic. I, I, I lead presentations on the topic of survival and disaster readiness quite regularly. And one of the things I always start off with is this idea of just survival in general, which survival knife falls right into. And that is, are people doing historical reenacting? Because a lot of people do that. They mm -hmm. dress up like pre-revolutionary war reenactors or civil war reenactors and they they share history uh, are they doing something along the lines of just wilderness survival is there disaster readiness built in there is there homesteading and bushcraft i think is which is an incredibly active hobby for a lot of people and and i'm not using that term lightly hobby i think bushcraft is is a hobby more than anything else then then this idea of a knife that fits all of those is almost becomes impossible to have a knife mm -hmm. that does everything because no one tool is going to be able to do everything. And so you have to look at what kind of things that you like to engage in. And when you engage in them, does your knife do that? Now, survival, particularly as it relates to wilderness survival, definitely needs to be a tool that you're going to be utilizing in the wilderness that you're familiar with. For example, the Boreal Forest of Canada, and I've said this a million times, and I really do not mean to to negatively talk about Mora knives, but, you know, Mora knives were made famous being utilized in Boreal Forest. And it you can use a Mora knife here in Kentucky in mixed hardwood forest, but if you try to do a lot of the things to a piece of hickory or red oak with a Mora knife, that you do in a boreal forest with a quaking aspen, for example, then you're going to mm -hmm. be in a, in for a world of disappointment. And so you really need to understand the environment that you're going to be utilizing your tool in. If it, even wilderness survival, you know, there's a different wilderness in a desert. You need a different knife there than you might utilize in the mixed hardwood forest of Kentucky versus a boreal, you know, primarily coniferous forest that you're going to find in, in, uh, in Canada or, uh, or Northern regions throughout the world, if that makes sense. Early on, when I got into reviewing survival knives, I reviewed the Gerber LMF2. In fact, that was actually the first review I ever did. And I looked at it from a combat seer survival perspective, but it still fell under that survival category. 
So there were a lot of bushcrafters that came in because I liked the knife for what it was. But one of the things that it had is half of the blade uh, towards the handle is serrated, which in a bushcraft situation, that'll just chew up a lot of what you're doing. But in a combat or sear survival situation in a downed aircraft, that specifically can get you out of a fuselage, cut a lot of things you wouldn't not normally be able to cut with more of a bushcraft or wilderness knife. And those serrations will stay sharp and usable much longer under some abuse than a regular fine edge. So I think it is really important to look at this. What is your purpose in a survival knife? Are you talking about a tactical knife? Are you talking about an everyday carry knife, a wilderness knife like Craig's talking about? So I think that's the first most important thing to come to grips with because even though I have a knife that I think fits a lot of criteria for a lot of different applications, you know, that rainbow unicorn knife that fits, you know, every possible usage perfectly doesn't exist. And that's why there's thousands and thousands and thousands of knife designs. So as far as purpose, after purpose, it's important to look at maybe an overlooked category of just general trust. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's I think it's crucial. And I think part of the thing that develops trust is how much time you've had that blade in hand. One of the things that absolutely drives me insane on social media is guys that talk about how much experience they have with their knife and then you look at their knife and you can tell they it just it, they don't have much experience with their knife it's the same with hats and boots <laughs> i was talking to a guy online today about <laughs> he was talking about he was going to retire his hat and i and i wrote him i said man i'm sorry i hate that because when you have to retire a hat because it just looks too weathered and it makes you look unprofessional then then that's just that's a sad day and a knife is the same way man i i want a knife when i see a guy that's talking about how to utilize a knife i want to know that that dude's hands are rough i want to know that he's done a little bit of everything with that blade and i want that blade to have nicks and and scratches and the handle's not pretty anymore and all that kind of stuff now obviously you take pictures and i try to share even the knives that i review outside of my own knife uh, I try to show knives in their mint condition as they come from the maker or the manufacturer, whoever it might be. But at the same time, you know, I want to be able to develop trust in the knife. And the only way to do that is to have a lot of use with it, have it in your hand a lot, know that it works and know what it's capable of and find out what kind of things that it's not capable of doing. And that way you can have other tools or other methods or other skills to overcome the things that any particular knife might not necessarily do very well. And if you guys want an example of what Craig's talking about, Craig, I'm looking at page 29 of your book, Ultimate Wilderness Gear, and Craig has a selection of, I'm going to say it's almost 20 knives around a circle there, and these knives are beat, dude. You've you've used, I can actually tell, there's a couple of knives here that are still kind of shiny. I'm guessing you probably haven't used those as much as some of these other ones that are nicked up and, and banged up and the finish is gone. Yeah, and I, and I put that on there just kind of a... Uh... For that very reason, <laughs> because I wanted people to know, hey, man, this dude's got a bunch of knives and that's not all the knives that I have. And they all look like that. And, it, and I just pulled my book up, too, just because you said that. That book 119 at the bottom that looks so pretty mm -hmm. and shiny, that thing is gutted yep. about 100 deer. But, you know, it's a stainless steel book 119. So it doesn't show as if it's been utilized a lot. And the one laying next to it is a gift from somebody very important to me. And uh, it's not been used hardly at all. And it looks old because it was made to look old. So, yeah, man, I mean, I don't know. You've got to you got to put time in with a blade. You got to know 
what you, again, this is a great point you brought up. You got to know whether you can trust it or not. And some of that gets to brands. I know one way that I hone in on a new knife. There's certain brands that I'll look to first, but it's really important that you trust your tool going into it. You want your knife to last and not fall apart when you need it most. One reason that I love to come to trainings, you get to get some hands-on, some knives that have worked for other people. Yeah, man, I've saved a lot of people money in our classes when they come, because I, I usually lay out about 30 knives or something like that and say, hey, mm-hmm. if you want to use that for the weekend, pick it up and use it. And people pick that up and use it. And because I've had companies send me a bunch of knives, as you are, I'm sure you do too, a lot more than I do actually. But but one of the things that happens is that people go, man, that sucked. There is no way right. I want to buy that now. And, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that doesn't mean, and, and if I'm looking at them, recognizing that it's an user error, maybe they're not using the knife properly. Well, that's what the class is for. I'll help them with that. But there are some tools that I lay out there that are what I would consider really popular tools Mm -hmm. that I want people to utilize before they spend the money on them. So they know what's, what's up, what's up, you know, they don't, they don't blow money on something that that's not going to be useful for them. We've done the same thing at the trainings we've done together. And it's Mm -hmm. amazing. There's some really, really popular and highly rated knives online that don't really function for the primary purpose that they're advertised for. And that just goes to tell me that they're not being utilized very much. That's the only analysis I can make on those. Okay. So the next thing we're going to take a look at is length. Now, I personally like a 10 to 12 inches, maybe a little bit more, possibly from tip to butt. I guess my general rule of thumb is to select a blade that's sized well for fine detail work, yet large enough for some tougher, harder use tasks and things like chopping and splitting wood. Man, length is definitely one of those things that are going to be a definite personal choice. I'm pretty much right on board with everything you just said as far as length somewhere around nine inches i'll just throw that out there nine inches to put a number out there is going to be a tool that's going to be utilized by most everybody uh, small hands big hands uh, a tool that can get some bushcraft done woodcraft done it'll be able to process game and so Mm -hmm. that that's a pretty good tool and I think we're going to talk a little bit later about my knife. So I'll talk about why I chose it to be 12 inches later, because that's a definite personal preference that I think mm-hmm. should be considered for people. But for your general understanding and usefulness of a blade, that that four to five inch handle, probably more like a four and a half inch handle, and the remainder of the blade being around nine inches is is where I'm at. And, and, just, and mm-hmm. I say that because... It, I, I get the good fortune of not just looking at my hands. I get the good fortune of seeing dozens of other people and how they utilize knives and what works for them. And so I get to see this in action over a whole weekend. And so that's kind of where I've developed this opinion. And it just seems like that knife, just that size of a knife, whether it's an LT right, I'm a big fan of LT right knives, obviously. And uh, that size of knife seems to work really well and, and people handle it pretty comfortably. Now, as far as length goes, people that don't have that much experience with knives, and, and this maybe gets back to like a Mora knife as a, as far as a starter knife or that, that length of knife that's a, it's a little bit smaller, lighter, and shorter of a blade. I've seen people who aren't as experienced with knives have struggle with a longer blade to start and be a little yeah. bit, you know, more able to, to handle like a Mora knife or Bushler is a nice size Bushler. knife too. Those are fantastic mm-hmm. knives. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that as well. And I don't want anybody to think my 
comments earlier about more as a negative slide on those blades. They're great Mm-mm. knives. I don't think you can beat a Mora for the price that you put into it. And, you know, like a Mora companion, something simple like that, or even the Mora mm-hmm. black. Those are just, golly, those are good knives. But, uh, but that knife seems to, you know, they know, they know how to make a knife that fits people's hands and, and is comfortable. And so that I've seen those knives come to class a lot, a whole lot. And I see them being used very successfully a whole lot. So I'm a fan of those knives uh, as far as, you know, some of the what I would consider lighter work with uh, medium, if not soft woods. And then just being real careful with how you use it on the harder woods. When I say the harder woods, like an ash or a uh, particularly a hickory or, you know, maybe even some of the live oaks or a dogwood or something of that nature. Uh, a more is not going to be able to accomplish your task with that type of wood. But I think this brings up a really good point, and I'd like to dig in maybe a little bit more on the types of tangs on knives, because I think that's that may be the reason that you're you're mentioning Mora in that light, and I, I totally agree with you on that. But bring us into the world of tangs. What is what is a tang? What is a full tang? What are the options there? Okay, think of the tang, for those that are new to knives, just think of the tang as being the part of the, that is either seen or not seen inside the handle. And so basically a full tang knife, which is what I would recommend anytime you can get a knife that you're going to utilize in, in a wooded, particularly wilderness environment, mixed hardwood forest environment, is going to be one where the tip of the knife is seen and then the full tang goes all the way to the butt end of the knife. So basically you have one piece of steel that runs the whole length of the blade. Uh, you can get into something like a, a partial or a half tang. That's similar to what a lot of the Moors are, but Moore also has a full tang knife now too. A couple of full tang knives now is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a, a narrowing tang is a term where basically they take a lot of the metal off and they push it into the handle and either glue it in or pin it in with one pin. And a rat or like a stick tang is a, is a blade much like a K-bar, if you will, where a small portion of the tang of the knife sticks out the butt end and it is affixed with a pin or sometimes like old school, like blacksmithing back in the day, the frontiersman's knives, a lot of those knives were uh, hammer forged together and even just simply bent over and holding the handle onto the tang itself. So, you know, it, in, in one little side style of knife is what's commonly referred to as a skeletonized tang or a sculpted tang where you basically take a portion of the handle that's underneath or a portion of the tang that's underneath the handle out. And usually that's designed to reduce weight. And so you don't, cause that the metal that's under there is not necessarily needed. And so that offers the user a knife. that's just a little, a tad bit lighter so you can carry it and utilize it without such of a, uh, such a burden. Uh, on the skeletonized tang, the MSK-1, we do have a skeletonized tang in there. Uh, we actually skeletonized the tang so that we could hold a micro survival kit. Now, getting back to this rat or narrowing tang, the problem is you have a much thinner, long tail of metal that goes back into the handle. The problem with that style of tang can be if you do any batoning, you're doing some splitting. Would that be a major concern that you would have? Yeah, absolutely. Anytime you're going to be doing task or you use that angle of your blade for leverage, then that becomes a concern. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if you're, you know, obviously batoning is you're putting in under 
extreme amounts of leverage uh, by hitting on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, anytime you might be doing something, even cutting or slicing, dicing, whatever you're going to do with it, you're basically putting it at that angle. And so anytime you're pushing with the butt end of your palm down on the end of the handle that doesn't have any metal under it, you're going to be putting it at a stress point. And, you know, the good and the bad of it is that we've had uh, a lot of knives in class where people have utilized them and broke them in class, which is always a fantastic opportunity to learn about what tools should work and what shouldn't work. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm all about that. Make sure we don't have something that breaks on us. And on the reverse side, just to reemphasize this, a full tang knife typically, if it's built well, if it's done of of good steel, is typically going to give you a much stronger platform to do a wider range of utility tasks. I I would agree with that 100%, without a doubt. Okay, so let's circle back up to style of blade. You know, you've got so many different shapes. And again, let's go back to primitive style knife use or maybe even you know, late 1700s, early 1800s style of knife use, they just had a blade sometimes that was a broken piece of equipment and they Mm -hmm. would utilize it to effectively get a cutting tool. And so they would make it work. I made a video, I think a year and a half ago on, I took a dinner knife from my wife's kitchen drawer. When I say my wife, she was, I had to ask because I was like, I'm going to go take this out and beat this to death. Right. And I didn't want to take one of her fine pieces, but, but, um, whatever that looks like. But the big thing was, was, uh, I took that and I did everything you needed to do in a survival slash bushcraft situation with it. Okay. So buying a knife and getting a knife is looking at it and going again, what kind of environment am I in? What kind of wood am I going to be utilizing it on or what kind of things task will I be doing and finding a knife that fits that. And so there's, you know, drop points or straight edges or clip points or spear points. There's, you know, even trailing points. There's all kinds of different points. And so make sure you understand the end result that you're looking for before you get a knife. Don't get a, if somebody's telling you, well, how do I say this? If you ask someone what type of knife they should get and they just say you should get a clip point, then they probably don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They should probably first ask you, what kind of things will you be doing with it first? And if they exactly. don't ask you that, then they they're not they have some personal emotional attachment to some type of point or something of that nature. And because of that, they're going to not give you good advice on what works for you, which is what we're trying to do. And man, we could talk sitting here thinking about this, David. I think we could talk about that for a whole show. But uh, suffice it to say, I think this might be another thing we can throw into everybody on Patreon. I'll just make copies of what I have on this chapter in my book and, uh, we'll throw it up there so you can see all the details that I put together on my book about points and blade profiles and all the things that go along with it. You think that's a good idea? You like Yeah, that? I think that's a good idea. We just won't tell your publisher again. Yeah, we can't. So all you <laughs> insiders here, don't tell people. Don't tell Patriot Publishing <laughs> what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, if you want to get the book, you can get the book and check it out. It's page, uh, I'm looking at it again since David brought it up. I'll pull 32? My book out. It's, yeah, 32. 33? Yeah, all around in there. So if you got that book, look at it. Just in general, if you're looking for a survival knife, a full fine-edged blade that slopes up to the point, it will serve you well. Hey, let me say something real quick. Because I want to back you up on this. because And, and mm-hmm. I don't want people that are listening, particularly those that are new to knives, I don't want you to get confused about something that David said. He was talking earlier about the use of a serrated blade, a serrated mm-hmm. blade 
for a specific use, particularly some yes. sear, maybe cutting into metal. And just now he mentioned a, a complete straight edge. I, I am not a fan of serrated blades for the type of work that I do, woodcraft and stuff of that nature. I don't think they're useful. Uh, one of the things that you'll get be told a lot is that you need a serrated blade to be able to cut cordage and rope and stuff of that nature. Nothing could be further from the truth. The best thing mm-hmm. to cut cordage is a nice flat when I say flat, a straight edge that is very sharp. That's the best thing to cut cordage. So uh, I just want to make that clarification. And we're not really talking about pocket knives. That would be a whole show too, because I know a lot of people that with their pocket knife, they will choose a serrated edge just because they use it for different utility tasks like box cutting or cutting through materials that they wouldn't normally use a fine edge for, or, or this is, Actually, more often the case, people that don't maintain their knives like serrated edges because they can abuse them and they still work to some degree. I like that. Yeah, I think you're right. A fixed blade, I think, is going to be a tool that is should be your go-to survival knife. Uh, now, with that said, I carry a pocket knife everywhere I go, and I mm-hmm. love my CRKT M21. I've used it to do a little bit of everything. However... If I had the opportunity to choose a tool that I could take with me for survival, it would be some sort of fixed blade. And that is a blade that doesn't break down and fold and compartmentalize in some way, shape, or form. It is a blade. The way you keep it safe is it has some sort of sheath that you place it in. And that sheath can be worn in a lot of different ways that I don't think we're even going to get into today, too. But, again, this, oh, my gosh, man, this topic is so huge. But, um but fixed blades are that type of blade, not something you're going to carry in your pocket. Okay, let's get into grip. This is something that people don't consider a lot. Grips, man. That, that's the part that connects you to the blade. So mm-hmm. it's got to be right. it's got to be what fits your hand. And there's a time for it to be comfortable and there's a time for it to be uncomfortable. And I know that sounds crazy. But if you're going to be doing a lot of woodcraft projects or bushcraft type stuff where you're going to do a lot of carving or slicing or cutting onto wood, and in that situation, then you're going to want that knife to be comfortable so that you can use it over a long period of time and not develop hot spots and blisters and what have you. Uncomfortable means that when you grab a hold of it, it feels like there's some bumpy edges on it or there's some um, troughs in it that are designed for your hand to sink down into. That's more of a knife that's been made specifically for the purpose of probably fighting or going to be utilized in an area where your hands might get wet in some way, shape, or form. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that type of blade is something that is going to be real helpful. I mean, that type of grip is going to be something that you might want to consider for if you want to live in a cold environment, I know you've got something like that for your knife, David, particularly because your hands are cold. You want a good grip. You want to be able to hang on tighter with gloves and all the things that go along with it. You might want that. And so that's a, a real valuable consideration. The materials themselves, you know, and this is one of the things that have a knock against the the more inexpensive Mora's is that they make great knives. Man, I, I just sound like I'm knocking Mora here, but I'm not. But if you have a any type of grip, whether it's more or K-Bar. My son had a K-Bar that, that this was an issue that they put rubberized portions on the handles. Then that's a great knife to use a few times. But if you use a knife like that on a regular basis, that rubber is going to come off uh, if you're using it. I mean, I'm talking like using it in its basic general use. The rubber is going to come off. And it just it's just the nature of good, solid knife use. So... 
be weary of that stuff. Although if, again, if you recognize, Hey, I might use my knife a couple times a year, then by all means go for it. You know, if all you're going to do is, is uh, clean fish, then, and that's all you think you're going to use your knife for, then by golly, I'd get a more companion. I spent about 18 bucks on it and it's going to last you the rest of your life. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it is all that it's cause that's an environment where you got slick fish guts on your hand, you got water on your hand and you're utilizing it to clean game. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd go with it. So yeah, just a lot of considerations there. And that gets back to purpose again. We just kept keep getting back to the purpose. That's so important for people to consider. And your knife handle, it's got to be comfortable and make your knife safe to use for extended periods in a variety of conditions. So you want to watch out for grips with aggressive handle patterns and sharp edges and, and pointy things that create hot spots, which could eventually become blisters. And I think that's what you're talking about with those rubberized grips. If you use those for extended periods and your hands aren't aren't used to them, you're going to get a lot of hot spots and that's going to become uncomfortable and you're eventually going to get blisters from that. So here's my question for you, Craig. What's your personal favorite handle material? I've got mine. You know, and this is going to sound weird, but um, I, when I design my knife, I choose my Carta because it is without a doubt my favorite. It just seems to be comfortable in most people's hands. Uh, it, mm-hmm. it works well in, depending upon the maker, you can find any number of different makers that make all kinds of different shapes and sizes with my Carta. It lasts really long. It's relatively lightweight, um, because if it's, it's a composite of compressed fabric, then mm-hmm. basically and when I say that, and no, and people that are not familiar with my car to think press fabric, yeah, man. When when I first heard about this stuff, I thought, what? Seriously, press fabric? Mm-hmm. But yeah, this stuff is unbelievably strong, and so you want to have something that's going to be comfortable in your hand. And and my Carta seems to work for me, although I must admit that I just cannot. Uh, just from for aesthetic and historical reasons, I sure do love a knife that's got a nice deer antler handle on it. Yeah, I'm right with you on on my Carta, Craig. It's a resin with various, a wide range of of different handle materials. I've said this a number of times on different things. You know, I lived a life about 40 years uh, doing stuff in the woods and and killing critters and backpacking, hiking, hunting, living off the land, doing stuff that people call survival now, and never had a knife with my Carta handles. And then mm-hmm. when I started seeing what's happening in this, you know, for lack of a better way of saying it, this industry and seeing that they were so well received, you know, I got one. Actually, it was a, uh, well, I won't go into that, but I got one with a micarta handle and thought, oh, cool. Okay. Uh, I haven't utilized one of these for 40 years and now I understand why people like it though. <laughs> so, I mean, it just kind of changed me. Uh, I mean, I looked at, uh, I love wood material. I love how it looks. But uh, I'm just definitely a fan of micarta, that's for sure. Sorry, I had to say that. I will say that canvas micarta has a natural feel, but yet because of the resins, it's very durable. Okay, next up, pummels. Basically, a pummel would be the tough butt end of a knife, and this can be useful for field craft and bushcraft. Some people like to have a, a pummel end that can scrape bark, can crush and smash things. I know in tactical knives, they have various different types of pummels, oftentimes somewhat pointed for you know, breaking and breaching and self-defense. Man, I really like the idea of having an extended pommel, basically where the steel extends out past the handle for definitely for attack tactical use for those that might be Mm -hmm. breaking into windows for those that might be 
breaking glass or breaking even brick or something of that nature with a tool like that. Um, that, that I think is necessary for a tactile blade. Um, the other thing is that, you, you know, I think about crushing hickory nuts and think about, uh, acorns and the stuff that go along with that as far as a woodsman's use you can definitely use a pommel for that and i have utilized various uh, micarta handled knives to do those types of things in the woods nothing to do tactical because again i've just you got to have that metal and micarta is okay but i would not recommend it for that purpose Mm -hmm. definitely want to have some steel that extends out past the handle for that type of type of work in my opinion Good. Let's move on to the next one. That would be a sharp and pointy tip. In my opinion, every wilderness survival knife should have a tough, sharp, and pointy tip for drilling, piercing, fine cutting, any kind of detail work. I would look at a drop point, a spear point for maximum ruggedness and piercing power. What say you about sharp and pointy tips? The only thing that I would be cautious about is using some form of a of a clip point or like a you know, like a trailing point or something of that nature where there's mm-hmm. a, a minimal width of steel on the tip for anything that you might do where you would stick the n- tip in and pry. And mm-hmm. I don't, I'm not a big fan of doing that to begin with, but you know, one use that I can come up with and I know that I've utilized my blades for is just digging into a log and trying to find grubs, whether I'm doing that to get some fishing lures or bait or i'm digging for grubs for my own use or just doing nature study Uh, there's a lot of times that i will dig into a tree with a blade uh, to study what's happening with that tree and that is a useful that's a time when a clip point's not going to be a good knife to have Uh, mentioned i mentioned earlier i've used my buck 119 which does have a clip point on it to field dress all the deer that I've killed, it was a gift to me from one of my uncles. So it meant a lot to me. And one of the things that, that, uh, I, I would not recommend that knife being utilized as a bushcraft woodcraft tool. I just don't think it does it very well. So I'm like mm-hmm. you, I want a knife that's going to be able to, to pierce things, but at the same time, I want enough metal in its width so that it's not going to be susceptible to breaking. The next one is knife steel. Now we literally may even spend a whole podcast. I'll get somebody in here like Jeff Freeman or or maybe LT. That sounds good. Let's just buzz down through knife steel really quick. I guess the bottom line is a knife's only as good as the steel that it's made from. So I I can't emphasize quality knife steel enough. And the second thing I want to emphasize with knife steel is the heat treat. You can have a what starts out as a good raw steel, but if, if the heat treat and the tempering is not right, it's going to be a useless knife. So knife steel is really important. We could spend so much time on this, but let me just talk about six major characteristics of knife steel. I'll let you comment on any of these that you want to. We've got toughness, wear resistance, edge retention, ease of sharpening, resistance to rust, and cost. I think those are or maybe six of the major things. Now the guys who are intellectual and engineers with regards to different steels, there's charts where you can actually go and dig these up online and you can compare various knife steels in various categories based on their composition. It can get really complicated fast. What ends up happening is a knife becomes a compromise of some things. And I would say as far as a survival knife, you definitely want toughness, wear resistance, edge retention, ease of sharpening is, it's important to be able to sharpen in the field, but you, depending on the steel, if your steel's 
on the softer end, it's going to make it maybe easier to sharpen, but the edge retention is going to be a little bit lower. So it's always a trade-off. You've got resistance to rust, which is going to cover some of your, a lot of your high carbon steels are not going to be as resistant to rust, certainly as, as what would be considered stainless steels. And then you have cost. There's some really great knife steels out there that everybody would love to have. They're fantastic, but just to put them in a full tang knife, just because of the knife steel, you're into the four or $500 or more category. Six major characteristics. Uh, what do you have to say about those? No, I, I don't have anything to add at all on that. I mean, you got a really nice set. Let me just say them again. Toughness, wear resistance, edge retention, ease of sharpening resistance to rust and cost i I don't think you can cover it any better and and i don't want to get down the rabbit hole that we can get into that professional engineering or metallurgists need to get into about steel Mm -hmm. and um I, i think you've covered that exceptionally well let's leave it at that there's really no perfect knife steel. You're just going to have to take those criteria and decide which of those characteristics are most important to you. And then there's three major categories of steels. Not, I'll just run through these real quick. We've got high carbon steels, and those would be like your 1095 or 1075. They're usually tough and they're generally affordable, but they can fall short on rust resistance. You've got tool steels like D2 that I chose to use for the MSK1. We've got a 154CM version coming out, and we also are going to have a high carbon steel, a lower cost one coming out in 2020. Tool steels can have a lot, a bit more toughness, some great edge retention, some corrosion resistance like D2, but they can be a little bit more difficult to sharpen. And then you have a whole wide range of stainless steels. And there's some newer steels that are a bit of a hybrid. And I think we're going to talk about that when we get to your knife, Craig. Hmm. Good. Good. Cause I really leaned heavily upon, uh, LT and the guys for choosing the steel for that blade. Cause I, as I said, I, I just, they are the professionals and I know you, you dig into this a lot more than I do to be as honest as possible. I get, I get way bored quick on steels. So I mm-hmm. left that up to the professionals to determine that for me. And, uh, and they made a good choice, but yeah, we'll talk about it. Cool. And our last key, number 11, something that I feel like so many companies really don't consider is a sheath system. And I know with the MSK-1, I I took great care to actually come up with kind of a component type sheath system. But even so many times when you just buy a stock knife, the sheath system to me almost seems like an afterthought. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I buy a knife, I want to make sure that I have a versatile or useful sheath system that fits the purpose of the knife. You said that really nicely. And the word I would use for most she systems is sucks. <laughs> They're just, they are exactly, as you said, very nicely, much better than obviously I say it, an afterthought. And that's unfortunate because that is a vital piece of a knife system. And that's, that's unfortunate. And one of the things that I do think is a little, it gets a little bit crazy, maybe gets a little bit crazy, but I like this, that survivalists have brought this to the table, is that systems have become, or she's have become a system. And you can add tools. And I know you did that with MSK1, which I like that is an option for people. Or you can add maybe a ferro rod or maybe a survival kit or a stone or any number of things to the sheath itself, because that's just, mm-hmm. that's just smart. Um, putting the tools that you need on a sheath. That's that's just really intelligent, okay? Now, again, when it starts looking unlike some sort of 
you know, cucklebur and it's got stuff sticking all over it, then you've got a, something that's going to hang up on everything and get in the way. But, but some primary tools that you're going to use on a regular basis, I'm all about attaching that to the sheath as well. And that's something to consider. Mm-hmm. Here's a couple other things I just want to throw in here as far as what to look for in a knife sheath. You need a knife sheath that's going to hold your knife safe and secure regardless of activity. That's the point, right? If you're going to have a sharp pointy knife, you got to hold it safe and secure. Also, it's got to be durable, rugged, and I think somewhat water resistant, but certainly durable and rugged. And like you just mentioned, sheaths that have multiple carry options. So anything else on these 11 characteristics, maybe why don't we run down through them really quick here. Number one is purpose of the knife. And you guys saw that we went back to that a lot here. That's going to be your number one consideration as you're looking for a survival knife. Trust, length, style of blade, fixed blade, full tang. You want to consider the grip. If you're going to be uh, doing any work where you need a pommel, of course, you want some Steel extending out towards the butt end of the knife, sharp and pointy tip. Knife steel is a consideration and sheath system. So, Craig, now let's jump in and break down the Chemonese long knife, which is your knife, in relation to some of this criteria stuff that we discussed. First, Craig, this is your knife. Can you share with us the backstory and the historical context of the Chemonese long knife? Yeah, I would love to. It's it's a knife that's inspired by several knives that I've, that I can still own that I've utilized for a very long time now. And more importantly, based upon a particular style and inspiration of men that did certain things back during pre-revolutionary war America. And that those guys were commonly referred to as the long knives. And the, these are the long hunters, the guys that spent a lot of time outside and lived off the land. They served as scout trackers. Matter of fact, my knife originally was called the scout tracker, and I changed the name about three minutes before I made it go live. Uh, I had been kind of considering it and then just, I don't know, just drop that on it and we'll see how it turns out. But, but, uh, but basically the long knives were men that could basically live off the land and they could walk outside with their knife, their tomahawk, their rifle and their accoutrements and, and make their way uh, all the way from Virginia to the Mississippi River and, and be, have a bright, beautiful smile when they got there and everything was going to be fine. Um, I, I recently shared with our audience here on the Survival Show podcast the story of George Rogers Clark and his men who stormed Vincennes and after a, just a grueling, grueling march up through neck-deep water and what have you. And those gentlemen that did that were referred to as the long knives as well. And these are, their knives were typically, from a historical standpoint, you didn't have a lot of metal just to make blades. And so one of the things that they did, they was utilize the resources they had available to them. And a lot of these guys carried knives that were slightly longer than your typical uh, knife that people carried then because they were broken off swords or bayonets. And because of this, um, these knives tended to be a little bit longer and they were, they, again, the European name was that was utilized was long knives. Well, when the Shawnee, uh, started having to deal with these men, some of them were, you know, mutual respect between one another, between the Shawnee and the long knives, because they handled themselves very similarly 
in the outdoors, in, in the wilderness. But they also got in a lot of skirmishes with one another and fought one another. And the Shawnee developed a, an incredible respect for the men that referred to as the Long Knives. And uh, I consulted with a friend of mine who knows the Shawnee language ex- really, really well. And he said the term that was utilized by the Shawnee was Shemanganese. And it hmm. sort of got get changed up like, like a lot of words on the frontier. And so the Europeans that translated that word would say Shamanese. And so uh, that's the n- term, that's the name that I utilize for my knife because this knife is built upon the inspiration of the knives that those men carried and looks very similar to reproduction knives that were built upon uh, knives that have been found from in a historical context, whether they were dug up in old forts that burned or passed down through families and, and what have you. So they use the long knife for pretty much everything. Can you take us through some of the basic characteristics and maybe we can deconstruct your knife, take a couple minutes and do that based off of the 11 criteria that we just talked about? You can kind of cherry pick from the list if you want. Yeah, two things are going to jump out at you when you see this knife or when you get it in hand, which obviously we want people to buy the knife and it's out there and on our store and we'll, we'll have a link for it in this in the description below. But but the two things that are going to jump out at you is that it's longer than what you're typically seeing out there. Uh, this knife is 12 inches in length and it's lighter. And mm-hmm. those two things, every time somebody puts it in their hand, they go, the first thing they say is, wow, that's light. And, mm-hmm. and there's That's a reason for that. There's, there's two or three reasons for that. And secondly, um, they know that it's a long knife because I've talked so much about it being a long knife and heck the name reflects it. But, uh, when people see it, they're not real. When they get it in their hand, they, they go, yeah, it's a longer knife than what I'm used to, but it's not too long. is what it seems to be coming up. Uh, and then, and then there's others that might not like that length of a knife and that's perfectly fine. But, um, it is. It is what it is. Those are the two things that jump out when you first get this knife in hand and take a look at it. Let's talk about the knife steel a little bit, because I mentioned when we were going through knife steel a little bit ago that this knife is a newer, I believe it's a newer knife steel. It's it's not something that I had heard about before you told me about this knife. And it's kind of a hybrid between a high carbon steel and a stainless steel. Yeah. And let, and this is interesting for those that have my book and, and look through my recommendations for steels in my book, this steel is not listed in there because I didn't know it was a thing. And as I mentioned earlier, here, here's me. I, I know how to use a knife. I know how to use them very well. I've been utilizing them my entire life. But when I went and cause I wanted somebody that knew what they were doing with knives to build this thing and make it right. And then I contacted LT uh, right knives uh, and LT specifically and said, Hey man, I, I need some help. I mean, I, I want your recommendations on a knife that does two things. It's going to do everything I want it to do. And I want people to want to buy it because obviously I'm selling them. I want people to get a knife that they can use and feel very comfortable with. And he said, Craig, we got to go with AEBL steel. It's not a real common steel yet. Uh, these are the characteristics of it. And he told me, you know, it's a high carbon stainless, just like you mentioned. It's utilized to make a lot of scalpels and a lot of razor blades. Uh, hmm. It is one of those steels that has, that comes from Sweden. It gets used a lot in those settings, particularly in razor blade use, but it's never been put into a knife. And at this point, with what I've experienced with it, building this knife and what I'm seeing other people say, I have no idea why not. This steel has proven to be, 
to be, you know, again, me banking on their expertise. I was, I'll be frank with you. And if LT and them are listening, I'm sorry, but I really questioned that when they told me that, that really bothered me, but I just went with them. The more I got, you know, obviously as soon as I got home, I started studying up on ABL steel. I was like, well, yep, that's why I went with LT because they know what they're talking about. It, it, it's a great steel. Now, some of the people have asked me because it's high carbon, can you l- utilize it to, you know, make a spark and, and use it on char cloth and stuff of that nature. And first off, number one, I think the ability to do that is completely overrated. I don't think there's a need to do that. If you know the first thing about going outdoors, you shouldn't be relying upon that as a method for fire starting, but it has done that, but it took me a good 30 to 40 minutes to make it happen one time. So, uh, no, no, that's not something you want to do with it, but the usability of it, meaning that it's, it's high carbon, which means I can sharpen it rather easily in the field. And at the same time, it's stainless, which means it's just a little bit harder than most of the steels that are out there that are considered stainless steel, uh, which means it's going to hold that edge. The, the first prototype that's still floating out there, uh, which I would love to get back if you're listening to me, Dwayne. <laughs> Dwayne Unger, he's a friend of mine. He, he He's writing a magazine article about this blade, and um, he's got it right now. But the first, the first prototype has been utilized for about four months, and unless Dwayne has sharpened it, which I hope he has, it was not sharpened for the first three months that I had it. And I took it to every class and I used it every day to make sure it was something I, I would not mind putting my name on. And I never sharpened. I never stropped it. I never did anything to it. I wanted to see how long it would go before it needed to be used. And on a near daily use, and I'm not saying all day daily use, but daily use, it had lasted three months without having anything done to it. So, yeah, I was tickled to death with the steel. Let's just run through some of the specs on it. So lengthwise, what do we got? Overall length is 12 inches. The blade length is six and three quarter. So basically what you're looking at is five and a quarter there for the handle. The blade thickness is an eighth of an inch, which I would like to say something about. I know a lot of people have uh, are all about specs and all the things that go along with it. One of the things that I've noticed about a lot of knives in the survival industry and bushcraft in particular is that they're, they're made what I could refer to as tank killers. They're designed to cut into a tank and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with that, but I did not feel like I needed a knife to do that. And so I wanted a knife to do the things that I do with a knife, which is woodcraft, bushcraft. And particularly one of the things that I think gets missed a lot with knives is a knife that can handle field processing and final processing of wild game. Uh, The knives that I utilize to cut up my deer every year, and when I say cut up, I mean I take them from field to table and do it all myself. The knives that I use were thinner. And they were of the time, I mean, a whole lot thinner than an eighth of an inch because that's what you utilize to process meat. When I'm cutting up roast and I'm deboning a, a deer ham, I want a knife that's going to be able to be thin, get in there around that bone. And the bushcraft knives just don't do that really well. And so I wanted a knife that would do that and still be able to handle the, the uh, bushcraft woodcraft use too. So that's, that's why I chose that thickness. Nice. Style of blade. Uh, well, it's a saber grind for sure. Um, more of like a, you know, drop point look. 
And the, the grind I chose again because I wanted to put a lot of metal behind something that would be cutting and slicing, but I wanted it to be thin such that I could do that real fine carving and slicing as well, much like a Scandi does. But in, in my mind, the saber is the, the ultimate combo of, uh, of a two angled blade grind. And it provides me the ability to, to have a lot of meat, but at the same time, mm-hmm. a lot of thinness where I need it to be thin. Full tang, yeah, straight edge all the way, all the way. Uh, it's got a burlap micarta handle on it. And again, uh, everything that we mentioned earlier about burlap is why I chose micarta. But burlap, I'll be honest, man, I just like the way it looked. It had nothing to do with function. <laughs> it had everything cool. to do. I thought, man, that looks cool. I like that. And I wanted mm-hmm. it to be set apart. And they, uh, LT Wright, man, if anybody out there ever gets a chance to go by LT shop, if they have an opening where they're showing the shop off or I, I really don't know if they allow the public in there. I, I don't know how it works, but, but, uh, go in there. Cause man, they've got this toolbox that they'll show you all kinds of different handle material and steels and just lay it all out. And that was, that was so educational to me working with those guys. And they, they opened this drawer and there was this knife that had burlap my card. I was like, stop, stop right there. That's what I want my handle to be. I loved it. So yeah, that's why I chose it. So let's talk about trust. Why can people trust your knife? Well, I've, I've put a lifetime of experience into looking at knives. And when I say a lifetime, not only my lifetime of experience, but Nature Line School has been going since 2006. That's 13 years that I've been watching people come to classes and utilize knives. And then I designed a knife that would do the things that I wanted to do, which there's definitely some things outside the normal realm of survival, like game processing. I'm all about game. I'm a hunter. I've always been a hunter. I will always be a hunter. And when I hunt, then... uh, one of my issues is I've got a knife that I use to field dress and I've got another knife that I utilize to process and another one to do some of the finer processing. And now I've got one knife that does all that. And that gets missed a lot in survival. And so I wanted a blade to be able to do that. And I've, I've, uh, I beat the first prototype half to death and tried to really injure it and couldn't. And so that made me very happy. And so that, that gives me a lot of feelings of trust on the blade itself. Plus, here's the most important part, and this is what I try to emphasize in the initial video for the blade, is that we've got nearly 200 years, over 200 years of American history that was built upon the foundation of these guys going out in the woods and using a knife that looks almost exactly like this with just slightly different modifications that I've added because we have modern opportunities to change it that, that basically built a frontier and built a, built a country off of it. And if it wasn't for those guys being able to do with their, with their knives, then, you know, if you're the type of guy that likes to go out in the woods and do woodcraft, bushcraft, game processing, survival, living off the land, and all that kind of stuff, these are the kinds of guys that I look up to from history. And this knife is built upon the reputation that those guys had and the knives that they carried. And so now, if you want it, you can too. There you go. Plus, I can't emphasize this enough. LT Wright is synonymous with high quality knives, like fantastic Absolutely. high quality knives. Absolutely. And I do know, as a little nugget, that you made this knife available to your students when they have come to class in the the most recent month or two, and you've given them the ability to use it. A lot of people have used this knife. You took their feedback. Is that true? 
Yeah, two things. Um, two things changed. One of them were pretty much cosmetic, and that's not really important to discuss. The other one was the handle. Uh, the, the original prototype had a slightly th- thinner handle, and several of our folks said, you know, I wish that was a little bit more sculpted. I wish it was a little bit thicker, and guess what? We made it a little bit more sculpted and a little bit more thicker. And I'm very pleased with the prototype because, again, I want a knife that I like, but I also want a knife that a lot of other people would like. And so I listened to the feedback and watched people utilizing it going, hmm, yeah, this didn't work. But, again, I put a lot of thought into that before I ever designed the first prototype. And so I had most of that ironed out before we got to that point. But definitely we added a couple of things in that uh, that made it a much more functional, at least a more comfortable knife for people to be able to utilize. And one thing that we didn't really talk about, and I know this was part of the design and part of the original purpose of that style of knife, you also designed this to be a fighting knife. Do you have anything to say about that? I do. And uh, it's one of those awkward discussions, but it it goes right back straight to self-defense. I'm a big fan of self-defense. I think it's a God-given right that we have the ability to defend ourselves and not sit there and let somebody beat up on us or, or bring harm to those that we care for and love for. And uh, so I, I am a big fan of self-defense tools to help equal the playing field in that situation. It is not something that I want to put out there for the sake of, hey, I want you to study just how to fight with a knife and go out and cut people. Because that has nothing to do with it, what this knife was designed for. Uh, this knife was put together with the idea of being able to utilize it as a self-defense tool because, quite frankly, that's what the Frontiersman did. And that's another reason I gave a nod to the name Shamanese because the Shawnee feared these dudes. They feared these guys. And one of the reasons they feared them because they knew how to take this knife and utilize it to defend themselves exceptionally well. And yeah, I spent a lifetime, it seems like, at this point, studying martial arts and self-defense. I'm not an offensive type person. I'm very much focused on self-defense and taking care of those that I love and taking care of myself. And I would dread the day I would ever have to use any tool or my hands to defend myself to bring harm to someone else. I don't want to give that impression at all. I don't, I, that the thought of hurting another human just makes me sick, quite frankly. But the thought of some other human hurting me or my family makes me sick as well. And so I'm prepared and the knife that I carry, I want it to be able to take care of that and do that when I need it. And this knife does that. Craig, that's fantastic. Thank you for sharing all that with us. I am going to be reviewing it actually soon on Ultimate Survival Tips on YouTube. And I've used it a bit. I've handled it. And I recently pre-ordered mine. So you want to tell people how they can get one too? There is so much. Here's the hallmark of Nature Reliance School and the way I try to do things, the way that our organization tries to do things. We like to over-deliver. And so we've done several things because we know that this knife is it's available on our website. Uh, you can go to naturereliance.org and look at the gear store on the website, and, and you'll see that the Shamanese will be there for you. Uh, and we know that the price there is, you know, it's not $100. It's not $20 like you can get a Mora for. And what we want to do is ensure that whatever kind of money you're going to put into it, not only are you going to get a knife that's worth every single penny, and I think I've proven that to everybody here with our discussion, but I wanted to over deliver. So here's some things that we're doing to help people. Number one, listeners of the podcast here, just type in the survival show as a discount code. You'll get 5% off like that. Boom. That's all you got to do. Just put that discount code in. You get 5% off the survival show. Secondly, uh, for those that pre-order, we're going to send you a 
a uh, stone in a leather case that you can utilize to fill sharpen this thing. Everybody's going to get one. I've got a tub of free stuff from all kinds of companies like Exotac and uh, Uberlieben and Cabela's and any number of things that I have that we're going to pick out random people that purchase this knife and just going to send you stuff. And last but not least, two other ways, because we're very education focused at Nature Reliance School, I'm going to be putting a video out about every week, if not just slightly longer than every week, until the knife gets here on ways that you can utilize it and the backstory and everything that you can do with this knife. So you're going to get a video from me on a regular basis on all the things that you can do with it. That's that's all part of what you're getting for your price. And the other thing is that we have a class in April of 2020 that is going to be open for free to people to come to that knife. Our classes are usually around $250. So you're basically going to get that for free. Bring your knife and we're going to use it. We're going to shoot flint locks. We're going to tan some hides. We're going to scrape hides. We're going to do woodcraft. We're going to do bushcraft. Uh, we're going to do flint steel fires. We're going to do everything that's pre-revolutionary war up until now that quite frankly is nothing more than a bunch of fun. <laughs> so nice. um, that way, Anybody that has that blade, you can come on in. You're not going to pay any more for that knife. I mean, for that class. And that way we can have a blast using our knives and, and we'll teach some self-defense techniques with that blade and everything. That way you're basically getting your money back when you get this knife with everything I'm going to be giving you. As you can tell, I like to over-deliver. So how can people find the knife, Craig? Go to naturereliance.org, look at the gear store, and it's on there. Fantastic. Fantastic. I'd love to have you join us. Use that use that discount code, you all. Get some money off. Sweet. Craig, we are long here. We've got this mailbag question. It's up to you. I'll leave it up to you today, my friend. I tell you what, let's do that on another day. Let's do that. So you want to take us out of here? Yeah, guys and gals, thank you so much for listening to us talk about knives. Golly, there's so much stuff. Uh, I'll put, for those that are members of our Patreon support group, then I'll make some copies of all the information I put in my book. If you're not and you want the book, then just go to Amazon and get Ultimate Wilderness Gear. Uh, super simple way to do that. Look in the description below for a link for that, and you can get into the book. But, but, subscribe to our podcast now. It's free to do that. It doesn't cost you a penny. That way you ensure that you don't miss out on this or any other episodes. We really appreciate everybody that's already done that. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please consider sharing it with your friends and family. Go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating. Reviewing it on iTunes is just, it's so important. We really appreciate that. So one more time though, listen up, help a brother out, hashtag HBO. We really appreciate your support. We not only appreciate it, we need it. So remember, Go to the survivalshow.com website. There's all kinds of ways that you can support us there. Get on Amazon, order the Tiny Survival Guides. Get on tinysurvival.com, the new website that David has has given blood and sweat to for several weeks now. And uh, it looks really sharp. So get on there and check it out. You can get all kinds of cool stuff there, including five and ten packs for the Tiny Guide and all the things that go along with it. And all this cool stuff, go check it out. If nothing else, go look. He gave you a discount. You need to check in on that. So, as always, keep it simple, be positive, and stay sharp. <laughs>